Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Nadia Vea. Her mom passed away from suicide at the age of 17. But now Nadia uses her music to advocate for other children and adult children. I love that, adult children. At 47, I feel like an adult child, for sure, who might have experienced the same. Welcome to the podcast, Nadia Vea. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've been listening to your music. I love the the acoustic uh, versions of some of your songs. Thank how, you. <laughs> how has... Um, has music always been an outlet for you emotionally and creatively? I would say 100% yes. You know, even when I wasn't creating my own music, like just you'd find me in my bedroom with a you know, CD pamphlet, studying lyrics, just dissecting them, finding the meaning that I needed in whatever song it was that I was obsessed with at the time and processing the emotion through the song. So at the time that, you know, 17, that's such a uh, critical age for someone. I mean, there's no right age to, to lose your mom. How did you navigate during that time? Was your father around? Was there a support group, therapy? So I think a lot of the other adults in a kid's life, when that kind of monumental life thing happens, I think a lot of them get you know, they get very immersed in their own grief and, you know, the funeral logistics and all the adult stuff. So I've definitely found myself running from my pain. And like, I actually left home at 17. I finished out my senior year hopping around on people's couches um, and kind of was a vagabond for like the next 10 years. I just like was like a little transient, little lost lost little being just trying to figure figure out how to navigate and figure out the pain and then I found music but uh re, re, rediscovered music rather and um yeah I think it when you're when you're young you don't know how like there's no guidebook there's no and it's tough for uh, other adults to step in and guide you so wild because when you, when you think about adults you think about these people who are very capable beings and then something like grief hits and it seems like no one is capable of handling grief, let alone knowing how to help their own children navigate through grief. Right. And, and uh, you know, I think when we're young, we're like, oh, these adults, they really have their shit together. And, and then once you get to the, you know, to your own adulthood, you're like, there's no way. They didn't, they didn't know shit. Cause I don't know shit. <laughs> Yeah, like my parents were ill-equipped. I can't. I can't. But sometimes I look at my mom. I go, "How did I get this far? <laughs> How did you get this far?" You know. Right. <laughs> so ten years. You said you rediscovered music. So you weren't playing music between seventeen and twenty-seven. Um. Actually, I say ten years. So ten years. I would say it was more like six or seven years, I slowly kind of found my way back. I, I, I jumped ship with music. And I think part of the reason psychologically I did is because my mom was my biggest support of that. But there was also a rift uh, between us with music too, because music was such an all-consuming thing for me. I was obsessive. And I think that um, 
that kind of caused a little bit of like a, a, a disconnect for me. I was like, Oh, my mom, like love hated this thing about me. Like she also nurtured it, like put me in, you know, choir programs, you know, so there was a very mixed relationship, uh, mixed feelings about music for a while. And then as you know, the universe, God, fate, however you want to frame it, would have it, I was placed back in a position to create. And lo and behold, I, I was able to like, dig into a lot of pain bodies that I had stored away. And it was really therapeutic. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, this, I need to do more. Dude, I need to do more of this. <laughs> um, and you said the pain bodies and, and the music was the music, the only channel for you in terms of dealing with the pain bodies or were there other channels that helped you to cope with the pain? I did end up, uh, you know, going on a therapy journey later as well. That was super helpful. Um, creatively via music, I've, I've found a lot of other ways to like, to be creative. Like I, I like styling and fashion and I, I do this for, I do styling for a lot of other artists. Um, I, produce visuals and, and paint and make clothes and like all this random things that are, are very therapeutic as, as in, in getting pain out of my body. But um, music has always been the easiest way because uh, of wordcraft. I feel like being able to put words to melody, there's something about it that for me is like the most cathartic art, art form, just writing a song. If it never sees the light of day, like just the act of writing it can do so much for my mental health. Yeah, I know you have songs about anxiety. You have another song called A Thousand Cuts. Uh, but in that song, Anxiety, you talk about falling in love with the anxiety and the paranoia that, that comes with it and the butterflies you feel in, in your belly. And um, you know it's not healthy, but, you know, it's like, but let's just hang out one more time kind of deal. It, it, it's so resonant because when you're young, you're taught, that if you feel butterflies and, oh, it, it, that must be the person for you. And then as right. you get older, you're like, that was just butterflies. It's like, yeah, there's a, an attraction, but it doesn't mean that that's my person. It doesn't mean that we need to be in love and I need to give my life over to this. Right. It can oftentimes mean uh, the exact opposite, like run, run to safety. And like the feeling, I think we, we oftentimes, like, and, and, and as a society, anxiety and stress culture is like very glamorized so like we're very programmed to like endure and be strong and face it and and whatnot and I feel like there is this romantic this romanticized issue that I've had with anxiety where I just like subject myself to very anxiety-ridden situations when I really could make my life a lot easier and cut trim the fat. And that's something I've been working on over the last few years. And you'll see it in my discography. <laughs> I love that. Trim the fat. Absolutely. You know, every time I watch the news, I'm like, why did I cut the news on? I don't need this kind of drama in my life. Or if I scroll on like, yeah, I know Yahoo and CNN, they're not my friends. And it's, and I have to actually put a block there. There's this website that blocks websites for you. And I was like, I got to put a block. Good Yahoo. for you, because it yeah. is addictive. You just like it keep is. dialing in, and you're like, "Why am I here? This doesn't yeah. exactly make me feel." Good. It's not healthy to scroll on social media for an hour. Like social media is great for a, a couple minutes, maybe, but you know, here's the thing: is if you don't spend enough time on social media, 
social, when you get back on, they know exactly what to show you to hook you in for the next three days. You're oh, like, yeah, oh, they're I'm all back. up in our brain. Yeah. <laughs> what What does anxiety feel like for you and your body? So it depends on the the culprit of the anxiety. If it's an anxious feeling in, per, in pertaining to another person, it's usually on the back of my legs and it'll rise up my body. If it's my own anxiety, it usually starts in like my sacral chakra, like in my stomach and like makes its its way up and then down. Um, and yeah, I mean, it can, it's very all consuming. It, it, it takes over the whole system and you're like, why am I so tense? And why am I moving this? Like it, it's, you just have no control after a certain point. <laughs> yeah, I love that you said takes over the whole system. It is like a system hijack, right? It just it completely jacks my central nervous system and where I feel dysregulated and even sometimes to a point where that when that paranoia kicks in and the panic attacks kick in, I feel unsafe in my own body. Yeah. I mean, the mind is so powerful too. It can create, you know physical like sickness i i've i've tricked myself into thinking i have like i'll google i'm i'm the worst don't google your symptoms people do not do it we, we are not doctors okay i've literally had every disease you can think of like i i've i've, I've had to really curb my googling habit but yeah yeah, yeah google's <laughs> not my i i used to um uh what's the thing where like you can put your name in and you get these google alerts on your name you know, I just wanted to see what the streets were saying about Leo Flowers. And I didn't realize how many people are named Leo Flowers. And so every time I get the Google alerts, uh, most of them are dead. They're like, Leo Flowers died today. And I'm like. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. I'm like, am I still here? What is dimension? This, yeah, is this the Black Mirror episode? What's going on? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not. I got to take my name off Google alerts because. They're like Leo. Leo Flowers got hit by a bus today, and I'm like, "Wait, what?" No, no. You're no, like, no. "This is not helping my existential yeah. anxiety." <laughs> I don't like the energy this is putting out at all. <laughs> when you look back at your mom, what was what were her struggles or her pains that that you saw? If you saw any, or was it completely unexpected? I feel like looking back, I feel like my mom. She was very self-critical. She put a lot of pressure on herself to be a high performer. Um, I think she was undiagnosed ADHD. And obviously, like back in that time frame, like those those mental health things were not really uh, really talked about. But I think she, um, you know, she felt like she wasn't enough. And um, I remember her putting a lot of pressure on herself to be like a high performer with real estate and as a mom and as a housewife and she was trying to juggle all the things and I think she just felt like she was never matching up and I think that was part of her mental health struggles and that's like I feel like the case for a lot of people um I think she had a lot of unresolved trauma with her her mother and her family and I think that's why it's so important for us to like look at those things so we don't you know it doesn't get stored in our our uh, bodies and our minds and, and, and manifest in negative ways. But I do recall like just having days and weeks where she wouldn't feel like getting out of bed and, you know, just like realizing that, okay, that wasn't, that wasn't normal. Like she was really struggling and really going through it. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm appreciative that podcasts like this exist because I feel like just having the conversation around like, oh yeah, like when, 
people are reclusing, like this is a sign that maybe maybe their mental health isn't that great and things need to be looked at. So um yeah, there were definitely definitely signs growing up. Was there some guilt that you felt on your part where you were like, how could I not see that? How could I not? I'm I'm her daughter or no. Yeah, absolutely. I think anytime you're dealing with that kind of loss, there's there's guilt associated and like being 17 and being in my teenage angst, like I was in a very selfish headspace. Like I was like thinking about boys and my band and like I didn't want anything derailing my plans. Um, and like her mental health struggles felt like they were just dramatic to me. I was like, oh, mom's just being dramatic. But, you know, being where I'm at now and being an adult woman and like having my own mental health struggles, like I see like she was on a very real journey. Um, and I had to, I've had to do a lot of work around the guilt of like, maybe I should have been more emotionally available for my mother. But uh, you know, as a young person, you, you know, I think there, there's the, um, the gap between mother and child. And I think like the guilt part for me was actually, it wasn't my responsibility is what I'm saying. So, but that, that's, that's been a big piece that I've had to kind of work through over the years. That's hard to stomach, right? To, to, yeah, you know, yes, I'm aware you're 17. I mean, adults can't even handle it. And like, you shouldn't be the one like, you know, it, you know, it's like, you're thinking like dad's got this right. Like, um, or the, the rest yeah, of the family. It, right. And it's, 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 it's tough in those situations. Like who is like, who is responsible for stepping in? Right. Like, I think it's, it's definitely a societal issue. It's a, it's a mental health care issue. It's like, there's not, there's not appropriate services that are providing art therapy or, you know, like actually intensive things to actually heal what's going on versus just like, here's a medication, you know, and I'm all about medication if you need it, but I'm just, you know, better, better programming for society. Yeah. The, you know, you brought up a good point in terms of who is responsible. I know I was like, well, the dad's there and I'm not saying that the father's responsible. I mean, ultimately we're all responsible for ourselves, but there is a societal um, I don't want to say responsibility because that's not the word, but we talk about mental health as if your health is solely in your mind, is solely um, in your head. And sometimes you could be mentally healthy, but if you're in a socially unhealthy environment, that can have an impact, right? You know, yeah. if, if you're in a, uh, a place of chaos and abuse and turmoil. Um, it doesn't matter how mentally healthy you are, that there's, there's going to be some damage done. Yeah. And my mom had several attempts the summer prior to her attempt, you know, successful attempt. Um, and the, uh, the system that she was put into the, um, you know, inpatient outpatient programs, they weren't effective. They didn't give her, they didn't empower her with actual tools to get better and get through her struggles. So that's one thing, that's one area I really want to do more advocacy for through my work is how do we reform these systems and these programs to actually like change people's lives versus like put a bandaid on it and 
maybe it resurfaces in a year. Yeah, you, you so. talked about art therapy, and, and that's so interesting because I'm reading Michael. I just read Michael Angelo's uh, biography, and then um, I forget this other artist. Oh, uh, the guy who cut his ear off, Picasso? Uh, no, Picasso. Yeah. Is Wait. it Picasso? Yeah. Yes, I think. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. Lust for Life. I feel like it's not Picasso. I'm reading his book and I can't remember. It's not because it's a uh, Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Yes. Van Gogh. Exactly. I always okay. confuse the two too. Yes. But uh, so Van Gogh, Michael Andrews, all these guys struggle with their mental health. And so I was like, okay, art therapy helps, but it's not enough because otherwise these artists wouldn't be giving themselves over to addiction, suicide, depression. I mean, no one was more prolific than a Van Gogh or, you know, you think about Keith Richards. I mean, he's still alive, but just all of the the struggles that he went through, you know, uh, you think he wouldn't be here. But the Kurt Cobain, like these are guys who were they were creative, they were successful. And I was like, OK, because I used to have the belief that if I just stayed creative, if I just stayed busy then I'd be good. And I'm like, well, that's not true because a lot of artists have were that, you know, you think about Amy Winehouse and I'm like, okay, I, I need extra help outside of the, the, the art therapy. And it sounds like, as you mentioned earlier, like you're seeing a therapist or have, I don't know if you're still seeing a therapist. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and what kind of tools has she uh have you guys collaborated on to work through your anxiety and and whatever uh mental health issues you're struggling with yeah i think art art like I, I definitely echo back what you said about art not being effective alone like you need other tools and um i think the biggest component that keeps artists down is that their art is looked as a, as a as a commodity so keeping like decent quality of life and being an artist can be very difficult. And, um, I know that one of my things that put, keep puts me down in the dumps the most is entering survival mode. It makes my anxiety the worst when I'm like freaking out because I have bills to pay. I'm trying to still exercise my creat creativity and get stuff out. And when, when I start spiraling into survival mode, that's when I'm the, the worst person. I'm my worst self. And um, Dr. P, my, my therapist, her name is Dr. Peace, which is a very beautiful and soothing name for a therapist. But she um, has given me some tools to help keep my body feeling safe um, through meditation, breath work, um, uh, visual visualization. Um, those tools have been effective for me in helping me stay out of survival mode. And also she's helped me work on forgiveness when I do enter survival mode and I make mistakes and I make terrible choices that are negatively impacting on myself and other people. Um, so that's been helpful. Just, ha just having a, a, a spiritual guide, like having somebody like a, a mentor to kind of help you work through. So it's not all inside of your body looping in your brain walk me through the visualization and i'm I'm asking this in because 
I was talking to a friend about self-talk and we were unpacking the layers of what that means now. And if you go on Google, everybody has a different way of doing it. And I was like, wow, those haven't, you know, you say like, I love myself. Like that really has not been effective. And somebody was like, well, if you don't feel like you love yourself and you say you love yourself, you're going to know it's not true and it's going to make it worse. So get yourself to neutral, to be like, I have a self. I am a person. Like, that's a neutral statement. And I was like, oh, I like that so much better than jumping into. So going into visualization, how, how are you visualizing things in a way that works for you? Well, and, and taking, like, the love of self, right? Because it's really hard to, like, fake it till you make it on that. Path. Like, visualizing, like, what a version of myself that does love and care for myself would do in their morning. What would that that person do? Okay. That person would go to bed at a, an hour that makes sense for the time that they have to wake up. Okay. That person would wake up feeling decently refreshed and ready to attack the day. Okay. And then that person would probably do some yoga, you know, get in their body a little bit, do some stretching eat a good breakfast, not just a bowl of cereal, um, maybe have some protein, you know, just, just like kind of like visualizing what that person would, what the future version of myself will do. And, and then also just like doing one or two of those things a day beyond the vis- visualization. Cause like, it's not easy to consistently love yourself, but it, it is possible to do like the one or two things a day that like would connotate. Okay. Like, I'm taking care of you like I would somebody that I love. I love that. You're so right. It's not easy to consistently love yourself. It's so true. It, it's like when my girlfriend says, I love you to me, I go, what part? What part of me do you love? Because I know you don't love all of me. I know there's a part that you, and I know there's a part that you're kind of like indifferent to, and that's fine. But what part do you, <laughs> what part that's do you cute. love about me? You know? Um, but, but it's also like real, I think that's, you know, I, we both, I'm sure just how old are you now or what age range, you know, I don't know how are you pop artists, 30, 30. So it's like the, the movies create this, like, you're my everything. I love you for always. And, and even like, if you go buy a Hallmark card, it has that same kind of always, I could never live without unconditional. Yeah. And it's like, there's a part of you that I could do without if it were me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the part that snores or farts in her sleep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's, so, there's a, it's, we got to just zoom in on the good parts, just like we do. I mean, on our, on our good parts, just like we do the people that we're in partnerships with or friendships or, you know, family members. When you do the meditation, is this like a five hour meditation? Is this a, a two second meditation because I love the visualization of like visualizing the the better version of yourself or the future self. Actually, that's what it sounds like. What would you do in the future to if you were loving yourself? What does the meditation look like? It's kind of similar to the visualization. I don't feel like I'm one of those meditators yet. Slash, I don't know if I'll ever be that can just like blank out and like you know trip on life. Like I'm not. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how, how that spiritual journey goes. But um, it's more just like 
tuning into the body and just like being present because my brain has a very difficult time with that. Just being here now, listening to the sounds in my headphones, the car, cars out in the driveway or in the street driving by, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's a short meditation, five to 10 minutes. It's great. Perfect. That's, That's all we, all I need is a little shot. I just need a shot of meditation. Just a, just a quick dose, a quick hit. And I'm ready to go. I, I used to think, oh, I need to be do an hour because there's research that shows if you meditate for too long, you can start to uh, hallucinate. And then people get actually get addicted to meditating to get to that hallucinogenic. I probably shouldn't say this on air. Now people are going to be like, <laughs> don't well, how long? try this at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't meditate and drive kids. Don't meditate. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the, so with the, with the music, what's been the response? Because you are using your music to highlight, uh, you know, mental health issues. What, what's been some of the responses in, in terms of how people have related to your music? I think one of the most amazing experiences of my career so far was releasing my song Holidays and Confused, which is kind of comm commemorating my mom and um, just how much she kind of was the glue of the holidays and how tradition is oftentimes a reminder of, oh, this person's not here anymore. And just getting messages from people like, hey, this you know really helped me through my holidays or um, you know, I lost my you know parent the same way. Like, um, the holidays are also, I mean, the holidays suck in general, but like <laughs> when you, when you have a, a missing loved one, like it definitely turns up the volume on the suck. Um, so that like kind of has been, that's like one of the best momentous moments is just like connecting with other people who can resonate. When you go back to that moment, 17 years old what would you have wanted from the adults around you from the people around you what, or what did you need it's weird cuz i think even now i don't know like i feel like i was in such a place of just like i didn't even know how i i, I was angry i was angry so i think what i needed was space like i did i think I needed to go on all the misadventures that I went on. I needed to couch surf my senior year, barely graduate. Like that was all part of what I needed to do in order to get through to this point. Like I'm very lucky that like my story could have gone very differently. Like I could be like homeless drug addict in the streets. Like it could have, it could have been very different, but I, I was very lucky with all the places and people who I crossed paths with and, and just the spiritual guides that I had probably, you know, like, uh, but I think everything, I got everything that I needed. <laughs> what was the surprising source of support for you during that time? Uh, so being, you know, a transient high school senior, uh, I, surprisingly, a lot of parents, uh, kids' parents, like, let me stay at their place. And one kid's mom even gave me, like, clothes to wear because I literally left with the same outfit that I had on and never went back like literally um she she would give I would wear the same jeans every day but she would give me like a new sweater or something to like change it up and she even would drive me to school because she they lived out of district 
shout out to the Lamort family. Y'all helped me get through my senior year. Um, but that was a really surprising thing. I think like looking back, I'm like, damn, they like didn't like try to get me back at home. Like, cause I think they knew like, I just couldn't be, be at home. Like they, no one like pushed me to like be back at home. And, and they didn't ask for anything in return. They, they were just giving from their hearts. Yeah. Wow. We, very, we very lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's really uh, heartwarming to hear stories like that. Um, Cause everything I watch on Netflix is it's like some <laughs> murder documentary or just the family. Oh, <laughs> like, Oh my goodness. All right. I gotta, I gotta like read more like Dr. Seuss books or anything. Was there a book? <laughs> or do you, I don't know if you, if you're a big reader or a listener, but was there a book that kind of helped you feel less lonely during this journey or more seen? There is a, there is a memoir of a book called, uh, it's called Manic, and I cannot remember the author's name right now, but the book is called Mem- uh, Manic, and it's a memoir. <clears throat> and it's about this woman who had bipolar disorder, which they believe is what my my, mother, my mother might have been experiencing. And I feel like it helps me have a better understanding of my mom's highs and lows, and it kind of helped me forgive her a little bit. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, because nobody was there to really make you understand and, and or help you to understand in that book. That's what I love about books versus a movie because the books really give us an insight into how their mind works and what their thoughts are and their feelings and their emotions. Where the movies is just more the behavior. Um, but we, we don't get as much of an understanding as right. to what's motivating it. You get the full glimpse into the brain. And I, I mean... I definitely feel like after everything went down, I was very much uh, obsessed with psychology, like just diving into like the brain and trying to understand why people do what they do and why emotions are the way they are, you know, but. Do you have trouble sleeping? And I'm asking this because as an artist, you know, as a, I'm a comedian and I travel and, and the sleep is the thing that becomes the most challenging when you're changing time zones or working with somebody on the other coast. Is sleep a challenge for you or is that been regulated? Oh yeah, no, I fight sleep so hard. <clears throat> like, I don't know what it, it's like, is it, I don't know if it's a fear of the following day or what it is like, but for some reason, bedtime's always been really difficult for me, probably ever since I was like a child. Is it so. going to bed or is it staying asleep? I feel like it's the getting to bed part. Once I'm asleep, I'm fine. I'm a light. I am a really light sleeper, though. So. Uh, do you snore? How about you? Do you do you uh, fight the bedtime a little bit? I naturally do. It depends. I I fight the if I'm on my cell phone or laptop or working late. It, it's too hard to unplug if it's around bedtime. Like if I'm in it, I'm in it, and I'm just. I'm just doom scrolling or caught up in whatever. I want to finish another episode of blah, blah, blah. But I've been training myself to cut my phone off at least an hour before bed and read. And I have to, and here's what's interesting. Every single day, because I'm so hardwired to put my body in fight, flight, or freeze mode. Like I'm, 
like I know it's not good for me, but I'm like, give me a like I'm in, I'm in love. It's like your song anxiety. Like I like I want the anxiety, although I know it's not good for me. You know, it's like an addicted to that that feeling because it's familiar and and not right. because it's healthy. Um, so what I do is I'll cut my phone off an hour before bed, and then I'll I'll read for that time, and then I have an alarm clock in my bedroom. I used to use my cell phone, but the problem with the cell phone is if I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll pick up the phone just without even thinking about it and start scrolling. And then I'm off to the races again. And then it like hijacks my sleep for the next three to three days to three years, you know? Um, right. So it's really about learning how to hack myself. That's, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. That's some, that's an area that I need to read. I was doing, I was doing decent on it. And then once you get off, you, you, it's, you gotta get, you gotta stay on the train. It's, it's tough. So what I've, what I've learned is there's two things that I started doing also is I have to remember how calming it feels to read a book every day, because every day I want to just be on my phone and be on my laptop and I have to go, Hey, but Hey, remember we get to read about such and such. And then maybe we can see where the story goes. Cause my memory is bad. I'll forget that I'm reading. I'm reading war and peace right now. And every day I have to remind myself, Hey, you know, you remember you're reading war and peace, right? And we don't know what happens to such and such. And then I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Let me go. And then I have to do a thing where I have to ask myself, what am I looking forward to the next day? Because my, my system is so used to just worrying about the next day or dreading the next day that I don't even think about what the bright spots are. I don't even think about what I'm looking forward to or what I can plan. If, if, if there's nothing on a calendar I'm looking forward to, it's like, well, okay, I get to plan something for myself. Like, I don't think about that. I'm just, I just want to run. I just want to, I just want to fight, flight, freeze. I don't want to think. I don't want to plan. I just want it done. But that's the adulting part. That's the adulting part. Is it like yeah. planning your joy? I love that. I love that. And I like that perspective shift too, because I do feel like there's this internal dread for me at night. Like, oh my God, the next day, it's so unpredictable. It's going to be crazy, like chaos. And then, but if, if I do like the zoom in on the like one thing, that, that's a good, that's, that's great. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to use that. Yeah. Yeah. Just zoom in on the one thing. And, and all, you know, the other thing is it's all about, um, because you, you talked about liking the reframe. It's not about going to bed. It's about easing, transitioning into bed or easing into bed. And, and what I mean is like, I, I read this book called The Bat by Joe Nesbo. He's an international um, uh, best-selling author. And I discovered him by accident. So such a good writer. And it's, you know, it's crime fiction. This guy, Harry Holy, is a detective. You know, he's one of the, the bad guys. It's the bad guy, gets the girl. You know, it was one of those characters. But anyway, in the book, he was talking about his friend who worked at an aquarium. And the, 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 the security guard at the aquarium would come in in the morning and notice that, all, that some of the fish would be dead. 
And every morning, some of, they checked the aquarium, the fish would be dead, and they couldn't figure out what was going on. And they realized that at night, as soon as they cut the lights off, the fish freaked out. And then they would smash into the glass. And some of them would attack each other a little bit. And they realized that they needed to slowly dim the lights to transition them into bed. And so a lot of us, we go from watching some, you know, horrific crime or the news or just something that excites our nervous system. And then we go, okay, I'm going to bed now. And then we crash into bed. So literally we are crashing in bed the same way the fish are crashing into the glass. And then we wonder why we can't sleep. That is a beautiful metaphor. It makes a lot of sense. Dang. This is why you got to read crime fiction, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> got to read good crime fiction. Got to read good stuff, not that what was it, Colette or whatever. Um this project that you have, you got a new single coming out, Friends You Couldn't Keep. Yeah. How where did that title come from? So, um I had just suffered a friendship breakup. Mm. I was in Colorado uh with my boyfriend and he was like, "You should write a song that's an acronym." And I was like, yeah, I should. Like, fuck. <laughs> Sorry. Am I allowed to say, wait, 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 I've been cursing the whole time. What we'll, do I we'll, say? We'll make it, we'll make it explicit. <laughs> uh, like, fuck. Um, and I was like, friends, letter U, couldn't keep. And I ended up writing this kind of like ballad-ish situation about just those friends that you think have your back, but you come to find out maybe your intuition warned you but uh turns out they they didn't and uh it's heartbreaking still nonetheless so i put it into a song and it has a little bit of a it has cute aggression in it uh <laughs> and i basically just you know tell them f off like i'm done like i'm done with this kind of uh imbalanced friendship and it was my way to heal you know from the whole whole situation talk to me about the emotional landscape, meaning, okay, we got the friends you couldn't keep. We got that acronym. We got the middle finger. So that lets me know that there's anger there. Yeah. Um, just pissed off. Yeah. Just realizing that it, I think the anger component of it is just, um, I have a tendency to be a pushover. I'm working on it. I'm working on the people pleasing still, but um, realizing that what kind of caused the friendship to go sour was me actually like standing in my skin and holding my ground on things. And um, that just didn't sit well with them because I wasn't able to be a puppet or to be, you know, controlled. And um, that's, you know, kind of what made the, the friendship go, go awry. And realizing like I have a lot of power and I don't I, I should be able to make decisions for myself and um not have to worry about repercussions in a friendship for doing what's right for me so uh yeah I just had to I had, I had to I had to put it stick it to a, a middle finger you know what else is under that anger though I think it's it's sadness you know like it is sadness because when you invest a lot into a friendship you know, years 
And you also trust this person, right? Like you, you kind of, I, I think put them up on a pedestal. Um, it like in this particular friendship, the, the saddest part too, was like realizing that this person like didn't really have respect for me at all. Um, so the re so part of the aesthetic of the song is this like whole yoga namaste thing, uh, theme. And part of what went on with, with the whole friendship breakup is this friend of mine told me that, uh, basically it was abandoned me in a season where I was really struggling. I was going through some stuff in my relationship that I'm in now. We're in a great place now, but I was, I was trying to figure out and navigate some things. And I, I was leaning on her just as, you know, she had leaned on me in similar seasons of her life. And she told me, you know what? You just don't have enough self-love and I just can't be there for you. And she calls herself a self-love coach. So there was this whole like, like superior, like I have, I have the secret to self-love and you don't have enough. So I'm not going to be able to be there for you juxtaposition. And I think that was like the most upsetting part of it is that I had, I had provided her with that kind of care, love and care as a friend when she had had relationship, relationship issues and, and just to not be able to get that back in a very, very, very stressful and trying time. And then to be told that, you know, you know, you don't leave people who are struggling with self-love in the lurch like that. That's not the that's not the way you do it either. Too, I get boundaries. If you have to set boundaries, set boundaries. But it was such a weird positioning, and then I just you know I I cut things off, and I uh, I actually this person actually reached out to me asking for advice in the music industry a couple of months later, and I was just like really you know really, and that's kind of like also where the anger comes in as well. It's just like no, I'm not going to be used when you can't provide the same things that I provided for you like no where so, did you end up finding support during that trying time honestly my therapist because the the friendship was you know that was my best friend that was like my, my person like that I confided that was the person I took those kinds of very personal things to um and looking back to like anytime I had done that in the past, like I had regretted it later. So like, I don't know why I felt like it was such a trusted environment. It was a very weird push pull dynamic, but you learn and you learn why those get created. Like that's been a whole thing. But, um, I, uh, my therapist, uh, really helped me, helped me navigate it and, um, helped me find self-love while learning to love somebody else. And my partner and I have been able to develop good, comp good communication. And we've been, been able to work through a lot of very trying times. Uh, I think there's this, there's this very um, sad misconception that you can't love yourself and love another person. Like if you're, if you're not, if you don't have enough self-love, you can't love somebody else. I think that it's possible to cultivate both kinds of love and, um, I'm just glad I didn't give up on my, cause she was also trying to get me to leave him. And I, I'm just glad I didn't give up on my relationship because he is my best friend and he's, uh, he's really been there for me more than, more than any friend has. <laughs> so. Well, I'm glad you've been here with us, Nadia. Is there any yeah. part of your journey that we haven't discussed? Are you, cause I know you're using your music to, to advocate for kids and you, and you were talking earlier about, you know, we need to change the system. 
are, are there is there anything else uh, we we need to look out from you on our horizon? Um, yes. So I do have a song um, in October dropping um, that's <clears throat> kind of got like an eerie, spooky vibe. Uh, it's called Trauma Bond, and it's actually about an experience that my boyfriend and I went through last October, where he was in a uh, a fatal car crash, but he made it out. You know, he came back and made it out alive. Um, and it's another ballady type of song, kind of spooky in time for October, but also to, you know, commemorate the accident in a beautiful way. If that makes sense. It's been a really healing thing to work on the song together because he's a producer as well. So we wrote and yeah, made the instrumentation in the basement and it's been I'm I'm so excited for it to be out. Like I'm I'm excited about the song that's coming out on Friday, but my brain's already in October. I think a little bit. Uh, so. Yeah, it's it's beautiful to be excited. Um, how are you gonna take care of yourself? How are you gonna nurture yourself after this episode, after this recording with us? Oh, I love that question, and thank you. Um, I am going to go. I'm gonna go dim my day. I'm gonna dim it because it's nine forty nine here, so it's about that time. Yeah. I love that. And then last two questions. I'm always imagining there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them, Nadia? Please stay because we need you. We love you. Even if you don't feel like you deserve that love, you are loved. And it gets better because I've been there too. It does get better. And last question, what are you looking forward to besides dimming your lights in the next 24 hours? Ooh, um, in the next 24, I am excited to make some tacos tomorrow. Um, and I'm also excited to get some things together for the release party that's happening on Friday for friends you couldn't keep. If you're in the Atlanta area, come through. Come through. Thank you so much, Nadia. Thank you so much, listeners, for listening. And remember, this podcast is not a substitute for calling a 988 or any of the 800 numbers. You can chat, talk, text. You can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you, Nadia. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.